Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. That's a great prayer, isn't it? And if you agree that God's word is living light, then please do uh, turn back to that chapter, Revelation 12, page uh, 1241, so that you can uh, keep an eye on it as we think about it together. You'll see this handout as well, I hope, uh, which has got some headings to help us on our way. I don't know about you, I managed to get through this last Christmas without seeing The Wizard of Oz. Quite an achievement, Um, I think you'll agree. And uh, uh, if you didn't, or if you remember it uh, from times when you didn't, then you'll know that at the end, when Dorothy and her friends uh, come to finally see the wizard, they're met with this uh, fearsome-looking machine, green, bellowing smoke and everything like that. It seems very scary, until the little dog goes and pulls the curtain aside, and we see not a great uh, awesome figure of uh, fear, but instead a rather bumbling old man uh, pulling at the levers uh, to make the sounds come out, I think rather like an organist perhaps at the top of a church. Uh, Seeing behind the curtain suddenly means that Oh, we understand what's going on and why it is, and we can cope with it. It's not so scary after all. In the same sort of way, uh, Revelation chapter 12 is a looking behind the curtain so that we see what lies behind reality, uh, so we see what lies behind the things that otherwise might scare us, uh, ultimately, so that we can make sense of it and cope with it and meet it without fear. Why look behind the curtain? First and foremost, to make sense of today. Revelation, uh, often we think of it, I suspect, as a book that is about the future. What will happen when Jesus returns? There's a bit of that. But the heart of the book, the bulk of the book, is not about that. It is instead about the experience of the church today. It is about what will happen between Jesus' ascension and his return. This period... uh, extensive and yet finite in its length that keeps getting referred to in different ways. 1,260 days in the chapters you've looked at so far, 42 months in one place, three and a half years in another. Verse 14 later on here as well, time, times and half a time. Again, three and a half years using Daniel language. When we look at this chapter, we are seeing the inside track on what happens to us today. It's great. Great to know, great to understand, because if we don't understand and we feel that we're just being tossed around by forces far beyond our comprehension, then we won't know what to do. Not just then to make sense of today, but to help us to overcome today. That's what Revelation Uh, It's ongoing and repeated call to the Christian is, be someone who overcomes. Let me describe to you what will happen to those who do overcome. And let me tell you how. And these central chapters in particular pick up on the, the suffering and the persecution that the church today should expect and will experience. How will we overcome? 
How will we overcome when, when the curtain is pulled back? We see not a bumbling old fool, I'm afraid, but instead a raging dragon, a monstrous beast, the devil. A spiritual war uh, that so much of the time we fail to even realize the existence of, but which rages behind the scenes and behind every action and situation that we face. Our talk of the devil of spiritual warfare might seem strange to you. Perhaps you're here today and not yet a Christian, not sure what you make of the claims of Jesus. Now, what would you make of this sort of chapter then? This sort of look behind the scenes, not to the physical world around us, but to spiritual realities that lie behind. Well, know that Jesus himself was clear that the devil is real, active, and filled with fury. Indeed, if you are a Christian here this morning, then know that there is one who hates you, who seethes with fury when he considers your existence and your life, who wants nothing more than your death and who plots for it, who schemes for it, and who will do all he can to pursue you. That is this foe behind the curtain, and yet nonetheless, he is still a foe who has been defeated and whose days are numbered. Well, let's move then to the battle that this chapter depicts. I think in three uh, sort of cyclical sweeps, we get a vision of the same thing. And uh, in each, we have the same main characters. Let's start with the dragon. Some of the imagery in Revelation is pretty hard to unpick, um, and so easy to come to a chapter and just assume that it's difficult. Sometimes, though, it's not that hard to unpick, uh, not least... Uh, when we're explicitly told uh, what everything means. So have a look at verse 9. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil. Well, here here we're we're getting a, a little helping hand, aren't we? Satan, who leads the whole world astray. That's this dragon. We'll think more about uh, what the imagery surrounding this dragon is in a moment. But here's one protagonist in the battle, Satan himself. At the next we have uh, the child. Verse 5, uh, she gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. Well, again, little hints for us. Who is the one who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter? Well, of course, none other than Jesus Christ himself. This child who snatched up to God and to his throne and from there will rule Yes, Satan on the one hand, and yet Jesus on the other. And who's caught in the middle? Well, it is this figure of the woman, uh, later wrapped together with the woman and her offspring as well in verse 17. Uh, Who does this refer to? Well, one from whom uh, Christ will come, uh, the woman giving birth to this child, and yet then also one who is... Uh, pursued by the devil, protected by God, uh, flees to the desert, uh, the place of wilderness and protection. 
Uh, yeah, this is the, the people of God. Uh, it is the church. It, it is us today. Jesus coming out of Israel, out of God's people, who dies and rises and rules and then protects his people as they are pursued by the devil. Uh, those are the three characters, and as I said, we have three scenes, verses 1 to 6, uh, 7 to 12, and 13 to 17, all with the same themes, the defeat of the devil, the victory of Christ, and the protection of God's people. That's what this chapter is about, the defeat of the devil, the victory of Christ, and the protection of God's people. Each, though, with a slightly different Emphasis. So let's look at uh, verses 1 to 6 to begin with, uh, where we see Jesus' throne. Let me read from verse 1. A great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven. An enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his head. Notice here how this dragon is described. Uh, seven uh, heads, uh, multifaceted, powerful, hard to kill, hard to destroy. With ten horns, horn a sign of and symbol of power and strength. And wearing crowns. A symbol of rule. This is, this is Satan in his full pretensions to the throne of God. This is Satan who wants to be in charge, who wants to rule, who wants to call the shots. Isn't that right at the essence of what sin is, uh, even in you and I today? That it is a, a saying to God, no, we don't want you to be in charge. We don't want you to be on the throne. We want it for ourselves. And we picture ourselves as being able to have it. It goes on, verse 4. His tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child the moment it was born. What is uh, the devil's chief hate? Not actually you or I, but instead Jesus himself, wanting to destroy the one who would rule, wanting to get rid of the one who is the rightful heir to the throne and yet incapable. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter, and her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. There's the dragon's mouth, re ready for the kill, and suddenly the, the baby's gone, no sooner born than, than whisked away, and now enthroned. All pretensions to rule that Satan might have are thwarted and foiled because Jesus is Lord. Ah, that is the great clarion call of the church. Not even that Jesus saves, but rather that Jesus is Lord. He rules. He rules today.
Jesus' throne then, the, the, the first theme. What about as we sweep through the story again, verses 7 to 12? Now we see this war in heaven. And it is not so much Jesus' throne, but Jesus' victory that is in view. There was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. Daniel 10 uh, in view as uh, we read this. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth, and his angels with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers, who accuses them before our God day and night, has been hurled down. See, victory. Yes, there's war in heaven, but it is a war that has been won. And how? Verse 11, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. See, it might seem fantastical, otherworldly, this spiritual language, this spiritual battle, and yet the decisive victory is won at the cross. Of course, we know that, don't we? Colossians 2, verse 15. Jesus' triumph over the spiritual forces of evil, making a public spectacle of them. Why? By triumphing over them through the cross. I take it that's why it's Michael who's the, 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 the chief battler in the heavenly realms. It's because Jesus is down on earth, making the victory sure. His death is his victory is our security. Which leads us on to the third sweep. Uh, this time, not so much Jesus' rule or his victory, but his protection of his people in view. See, the dragon, he wants to kill Jesus, but with that foiled, uh, with victory now won against him, he'll turn his fury on the only one left. Verse 13, when the dragon saw that he'd been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. Happens again in uh, verse 15, doesn't it? Spewing water like a river to try and overtake the woman and sweep her away. But each time it's thwarted. The woman given two wings of a great eagle to be taken to safety. The earth helping and swallowing up the river that the dragon had spewed. Yes, Satan is seething with fury at the church. Filled with fury because he knows his days are numbered and he'll use every last one of them to attack us. And yet if we're Christians, if we're trusting in Christ, then we have his protection. That is the description of the battle the defeat of the devil, the victory of Christ, the protection of God's people. Why are we being told it? Why look behind the curtain at this? What's the point for you and I today? What are the spoils of war that Jesus has won for us? 
What does it mean that we can join and say that now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ? What does it look like for you and I today? Well, two things in particular, I think, here. Uh, First of all, persecution and yet protection. One of the great themes of this chapter, isn't it? And yet perhaps we do need to take a step back because it may be that for you or for I, persecution isn't live in our experience as Christians today. It's not at the forefront of what it's like for us. Uh, We see uh, flashes only of what for the original readers of Revelation was an ongoing and bitter experience. Persecution will come, yes. The taunts of a friend, the ostracism or being overlooked at work. Tension within families. However it expresses itself for you. And yet we know, don't we, that it's nothing like what it could be. Indeed what it is. We've been praying already for northern Nigeria. The dreadful situation that our brothers and sisters in Christ face there. Uh, We have a a Chinese student as part of our church. He came back, uh, having been back at home over the Christmas holidays. Uh, He's from, I think it's Nangju province. It's one one of the best, one of the most open, one of the most lenient in terms of the authorities and their attitude towards Christians. And yet he was saying that uh, when they met in their house church uh, over the holidays when he was back at home, uh, whenever they sing, they have to station someone at the windows so that if they see any policemen coming along, they they tell everyone to stop and be quiet uh, until they've gone out of earshot. Can you imagine it? Can you imagine if we had to, to send Paul up the tower when we strike up together. Oh, this is too conspicuous a building anyway, isn't it? But that's what they face. That's in the best bit. How do we respond then to this encouragement to overcome when persecution comes? Let me suggest uh, four things. Firstly, we need to pray. We need to pray for others for whom this is a vital need today. Pray for those who are being persecuted Let's support them. Next, let's persevere when, when the genuine persecution, yes, maybe it's not as much, but it's still there and it still hurts. Let's persevere when we meet it. The worst thing that we could do is be lulled into a full sense of reality, to think that what we experience is the norm, is what it should be like. Because then when something happens, when we say something to someone else and hostility is the result, when we try to live for Christ and suffering is the result, we'll conclude that we've got it wrong. We'll conclude, oh, God doesn't want this for me. I I must have got something wrong. If I change so that things are easy, that's the sign of God's blessing. That's the sign of God's favor. That's the sign that I'm doing something right. It is not. Persevere when it comes because you're doing the right thing if you're living for Christ and facing difficulty, facing the agency of this furious devil against you. And so, yes, persevere, but also prepare. We need to mentally prepare for worse 
that may, that will come. Are you ready for it? Is it there in your expectation that if this year is a year in which you follow Christ, trust him, grow in your knowledge and love of him, it's going to be a hard year. Not a good year, a hard year. Because this is the battle. Prepare, prepare for worse. Fill your mind with the truths that will help you to overcome. This truth of a battle won, of a furious devil whose days are numbered, and of the protection of the enthroned Christ. And so finally, we need to pray again. Pray not just for people who are going through suffering today, but pray for ourselves that when the time comes, God will equip us and save us. It's true, isn't it, that if we would not be a Christian today, if we were in northern Nigeria, if we would not be meeting together, if it meant stationing lookouts in China, if we wouldn't be up for that, it means that we're not a Christian here. Just because it's easy doesn't, just because you are here, if you wouldn't be there, if you know that if the chips fell, you'd be out. You're not a Christian today here. We need to be ready for this. And yet we don't have to think, gosh, but I'm not ready in myself. I, I, don't, I don't think I could cope with that. No, it is God himself who provides the resources. So if we found ourselves there, we would need to be praying that he would give us this protection that he promises. That he would fill our hearts with love for Christ, with joy at our secure future with him, so that anything that we face today would be okay with us for the sake of his honor and his name. See, protection uh, is sure. In around 400 AD, there was a man named John Chrysostom, uh, known as one of the great preachers and evangelists of the early church, uh, but he was put on trial for his life for promoting Christ, a capital offense. A record of some of the trial has survived. The Roman official in charge said to him, we will banish you. He replied, you cannot banish me, for the whole world is my father's home. Well, then we will execute you. You cannot. My life is hid with Christ. Then we will dispossess you of your estate. You cannot. I haven't got any. All my treasure is in heaven. Well, then we will put you in solitary confinement. You cannot, he replied, for I have a divine friend from whom you can never separate me. I defy you. There is nothing you can do to hurt me. Could those words be yours or mine? That understanding, that rock-solid confidence in what we have in Christ that nothing can touch. Pray, persevere, prepare, and pray again. Persecution will come, but protection is there. It's the spoils of war. And that's not all. Uh, secondly, we have accusation and acquittal. Second half of verse 10, look at that with me. 
Then I heard, oh, let, let me read from the beginning. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers, who accuses them before our God day and night, has been hurled down. The accuser hurled down. Our, our elder to us, seven and five. And we've reached that stage where we need to try to start teaching them about not to tell tales. If you, if you had to go through this, it's quite a complex thing to try to teach them because, of course, there's some situations where we do need to know if someone's done something wrong, um, if, it's, if it's very bad and so it needs to be addressed in terms of their character, if it's you know, dangerous in terms of what's happened, we need to know so we can go and kind of save the day. And yet there's some times when it is just a sort of telling of tales and you want to actually deal not so much with what's happened there but with the attitude of the person who's come with the, with the story. Because actually what they're trying to do is not sort of fight for, fight for justice or fight for the safety of the other sibling but rather is just to try to get someone else in trouble. Well, we haven't cracked it yet. If you have, then you can tell me how to uh, at the end. And yet that's what's going on with, with Satan. Not a desire for justice, certainly not a desire for anyone's safety, but definitely a desire to get others in trouble. He is the accuser of us. Remember the beginning of Job, if you know it? What does Satan do there? There he is before God, and he says, oh, yeah, there's Job, but there You might think that he's good, he's rubbish. He's only in it for himself. He doesn't care about you. God gives him rain to, to try his luck. It doesn't work. Here's the problem, though. Job was a righteous man. I, I know that the devil has plenty of ammunition for me to stand before God telling tales about me. Yes, his attitude isn't right, but neither has mine been. What, what will happen as his accusations come, as he points the finger, as he makes sure that nothing goes unmentioned and unaddressed before the throne of God? Do you know what happens? I'll tell you what happens. Every time he points the finger at me, Christ can point the finger to the cross. Colossians 2 again. How is this triumphing over the spiritual forces achieved? Because he disarms the spiritual powers by nailing my sins to the cross. There's no finger to point because my sin has been removed from me. And the accuser has been hurled down. Satan can point the finger at me all he likes. Everything that he raises. Every sin. Every failure that he can draw to God's attention has been dealt with by Christ when he died for me. It's wonderful news. Because in Christ there is no condemnation. Do you know that though? Do you feel it? Sophie's two, she's heavy, and that means uh, when we go on a family walk, she's 
unfortunately still in that backpack age, another year and we'll be clear of it, but, but she gets humped onto my back and we sort of trudge over a few hills. She can't keep up with the rest of us otherwise, you see. By the end of the walk, your shoulders are agony. It feels like you're carrying a ton of bricks, not a two-year-old girl. And when you take it off, here's the problem. My brain knows that the backpack isn't there anymore, but my shoulders, they certainly don't. It feels like it's still there. And so what do you have to do? Well, you have to spend about half an hour kind of going like this, kind of flexing your muscles, rolling your shoulders to try to convince them that uh, the weight is no longer there. Where is your sin? And what does it feel like to you? If you are a Christian today, if you're trusting in Jesus, your sin is no longer on your back. It has been removed and placed onto Christ and dealt with once and for all. And yet you know, don't you, that sometimes it doesn't feel like that. It feels like the backpack when it's just being taken off. Your shoulders think it's still there. Yeah, perhaps your brain knows that your sins are forgiven, but your conscience still carries their weight. Well, start to spiritually roll your shoulders. Because we're freed even from a guilty conscience. Even from the accusations of the devil. If we are one with Jesus. Remember this promise. Remember what he's done. Remember that the accuser has been hurled down. He no longer has God's ear. He no longer has access to the throne. And his finger is no longer pointing at you. Remember the totality of Jesus' victory. Remember what he's done and enjoy it. Enjoy the acquittal from accusation that is ours. The battle, it's real. The spoils are amazing. How do we make it ours? How do we join in this victory? What are the weapons that we can use? Well, verse 11, as I close. Picking up again on, on God's people. Joining in this victory, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Three things then. Three things. Are they true of you? Do you plead the blood of the Lamb shed for you? Do you look to Jesus' sacrifice on the cross? A sacrifice that uh, wasn't just a, a part of a Roman trial, a, a Jewish rebellion but instead was part of a cosmic spiritual battle and was the victorious point. Do you say, yeah, that was for me. That's what wins it for me. If so, you will overcome. Do you hold to it? Is it the word of your testimony? Is it what you tell yourself when you've forgotten it.
Is it what you spread to others? So that one by one, the grasp of the devil is prized off. One person after another. Everyone who turns to Christ. And is this news, this message, so vital to you, so cherished by you, that all of the rest of life pales into insignificance. It doesn't matter what you go through. It doesn't matter what persecutions or suffering you might face. You will not love your life so much as to shrink from death. Not death in Christ's name. Jesus calls us, doesn't he, to take up our cross and to follow him. To follow his way of death because that way we will share in his victory of life. Are you ready? Are you ready not to shrink from death? Not to grasp onto the things of this life so much that when the crunch comes, you'll let go of Christ? Fail to look at his blood and trust it? Fail to speak of him in a world that hates him? No, be ready. And when the time comes, stand firm and you will overcome. Let's pray. A great and wondrous sign. Great indeed, Father. We praise you for it. We praise you that though our enemy is frightening, and furious. We have a Savior who is enthroned and victorious. We have you on our side and the promise of your protection, the promise of life with you forever. Help us, we pray, to overcome the spiritual forces of evil arrayed against us. Help us to hold ever more firmly to Jesus' blood shed for us. To have him fill our message, the word of our testimony. And help us to pursue life with you above life here on earth. To pursue the things you promise us and not the things our hearts chase after. And when persecution comes, as we expect it to, may we be those who overcome. In Jesus' name, amen.